Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Morning. Today we're going to continue this series of messages uh, called Lives and Letters. We're looking at the New Testament letters. And when you want to connect in a way that will really be remembered, you take the time to write out a letter. You send that off. Because a, a well-crafted letter can have a long-lasting impact, sometimes far beyond the author's original intent. And so the New Testament has some letters. Uh, the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, has 27 different books in the New Testament. Uh, but three-quarters of those books are letters. So 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters. They were letters written by... Uh, People in the very in the first century, real people who saw the risen Jesus, and and letters are different than some of the other books you find in the Bible. Letters are different than biographies. Uh, they're different than history. They're different than poetry and prophecy. And so we're we're uncovering what makes them different. What is it about the letters? And how how are we to understand them? And and how can we uh, take away from what we read um, and apply it to our lives? Uh, on our website or our podcast, we actually you can find last week's message where we gave some really intro background uh, uh, content on how to apply the letters. And but something I shared last week was this: is that when you read the New Testament letters, you realize that the Father is speaking to you. I mean, we, we sense that God Himself is speaking to us through these ancient letters. It's in fact sometimes you you have to almost check the envelope. Like, is this written to me? It's this just seems so personal. It seems like this is the core issue of my life right now. And that's, that's sometimes how it is when we're reading uh, the Scripture. And so we're aiming to really listen to what God is saying to us. And so here, here's some ways to hear God when reading the New Testament letters. Just real quick summary again. Get curious. When you read the New Testament letters, get curious. Ask some questions like, who's the author? Uh, who, who is the audience? Who received this? Uh, what, what's the occasion what was going on? Because just like in your life, when you receive a letter, there's usually an occasion for that letter. It's nice when you receive a personal letter in the mail, isn't it? It's it's especially if all you are used to is bills in the in the mailbox. You know, <laughs> it's nice when you see something personal. It's got your name on it, and you see a letter. You're like, ooh. And then it's not just a letter from some company, and they're disguising it as a personal letter. But it's like, oh no, this is for me. And and but there's usually a reason. It's your birthday, it's a celebration, or maybe it's a hard time you're going through. And someone knew about that, and they wrote out a letter, and it meant something to you and to them. But get curious, because there are some things in the letters that, that teach us uh, about uh, you know, just clues that they give us. So we'll talk about that again this morning. Second, there are some things to avoid when you're reading. Uh, one of the things that you, you want to avoid is putting God in a box. When you're reading the letter, sometimes you can put God in the box, or sometimes you can get so invested in the details that you miss the big picture of the whole Bible. And so you sort of just get stuck in the weeds, and you don't pull your head up and, and realize, wow, there's this grand story of God redeeming. And you have to, you have to take a look at what is happening in this whole, this whole book, or this whole letter, what's the theme of the whole letter, but then even what's the theme of the New Testament, and then what's, what's the theme of the whole Bible, what is going on on the grand scale of things? Um, and then another thing you want to avoid is is reading into uh, reading into it. Meaning, I take just my cultural 
viewpoint and I, and I read my circumstances into the Scripture and I say, uh, this must be what it means, rather than trying to draw out of the text what was going on there. So we should draw out of the text the meaning. But then finally, we want to build a bridge into our lives. Building a bridge from, and that's a, quite a distance. Bridges span uh, obstacles, and so the obstacle is about 2,000 years when it comes to the New Testament. How do you span from the first century to the 21st century? You need a bridge to make to cross that distance. And so the Bible says that knowledge alone can just puff us up. Knowledge of the Bible alone can actually make people pretty arrogant. You don't have to say amen to that one. Just know that knowledge alone can create a lot of problems. People to just thump you with their knowledge. Knowledge of the Bible without bridging the Bible into real life leaves us on shaky ground. Jesus actually said, you know, it's good that those who are standing on solid ground are those who apply Jesus' teachings. They get it into their lives. And so we're trying to figure out how do we understand what the Scripture is saying, draw it out from the text, but then bridge it into our life. And so we're going to follow this same path again to see how the books of 1 Corinthians and Galatians impact our life today. And if you're thinking, oh boy, how are we going to pull that off? It's going to be tough. Because it's a lot. I mean, we're not going to get through all of the, these two books for sure. But, but there are some things in these, there's some issues in these two books that, that tie together. And there's a tension point. So the message I've titled it, Living in the Tension. And really you have a tension of, the tension is on, on the one hand, something called legalism. Okay? And on the other hand, you have something called liberty. And you experience the tension of legalism and liberty in these two books. And I want to talk about that this morning, because I think it will be really helpful for us as we live our lives and relate to one another in church life. But let's get curious together. Most of the information about uh, who wrote it and, all, and who it was written to is found in the beginning of, of these letters. And so, for example, the first verses in 1 Corinthians and Galatians state that Paul is the author. Okay, it, And I'll just read it. It's not going to be up on the screen. But Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul, he just says, Paul to the churches of Galatia. He's identifying himself as the author. Uh, he's in a, t- a town or a city called Antioch when he's writing the letter to the Galatians. Uh, and he is in Ephesus when he's writing the letter to the, uh, to the Corinthians. Two different cities receive letters from Paul. Here's a map of, of the, the area. And you can see I've highlighted Galatia. Over here, it's a region. Uh, off to the right, where the green and the red intersect, is a city, Antioch. And it was sort of the sending city for churches that were like missionary. Or it was like a missionary sending church. Just south of Antioch would be uh, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would be sort of the mother church, okay? the And the mother church has the most, oftentimes, the the... Proven official leaders, there's, there's things coming out of Jerusalem because it was where uh, the movement started, uh, that those who were in Jerusalem were often revered as uh, having you know, the, all the answers. And you know, there was almost like a sense that 
the Jerusalem church needed to put their stamp of approval on what was happening outside of Jerusalem because uh, the further you get from Jerusalem, uh, you, know, you, you realize there's less people that were there to see Jesus rise. There, and so you're trusting that the message is not getting diluted as it's moving further and f- further from Jerusalem. But the church in Antioch, north of Jerusalem, was a sending church. It was a missionary sending church. Paul, in his second journey, this, these arrows trace the journey, and he travels through the region of Galatia, eventually crosses into Europe, heads down into uh, Greece, and then he travels back. Okay, Now, he's in different cities riding back to the churches who uh, he had spent some time with, helped establish their churches, planting churches, raising up leaders, and so he corresponds with the church leaders. The, the issues facing the churches in Galatia, which is, again, outside of Jerusalem, were different issues than were going on in Corinth, because they're, they're a sea apart. And Corinth is in uh, Greece. It's just outside of Athens, like 50 miles outside of Athens, very far from Jerusalem. So the issues they were facing in Corinth were very different than the issues in Galatian, in the Galatian region. I'm bringing this up because you'll see some of the issues that they're facing, and you can begin to understand why. They're further and further from Jerusalem, and so the cultural context is very different. Here's who received the letters. The churches in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, the southern churches, there's actually not just one church, but it's really many churches, local churches in the southern region of Galatia. And then in Corinth, there is that would have been a local church in Corinth uh, that Paul helped to start. Now, last week we talked about a couple of helpful resources that you might try to use or pick up when you're trying to understand the background of the Bible. So I've got an excerpt from the Bare Bones Bible Handbook on the letter to the Galatians. Here's, here's what it says. Having just returned from Jerusalem to his home church in Antioch, where the issue of faith in Christ alone for salvation has been affirmed, Paul is shocked by some distressing news. He hears that many of the Galatians who had come to believe in Christ during his first missionary journey had fallen prey to the heresy of false teaching. And here's what it is, that Gentile believers must submit to all the Mosaic law before they can become Christians. That Gentiles would need to be like Jews, that they would need to take on Jewish law, Jewish practice, Jewish custom in order to be a real Christian. And so somehow this heresy, this false teaching, had begun to seep into the Galatian church. And Paul hears about it, and he is concerned. He's alarmed. And so that, that's what prompts him to write this letter to the churches there. Now, the other resource we talked about last Sunday was the ESV Study Bible, English Standard Version Study Bible. And here's what you'd find in the intro regarding Corinthians. It says, The city of Corinth was at the heart of an important trade route, in the ancient world. Now, this is in uh, southern Greece, just outside of, of Athens. Like many cities that thrive on trade, Corinth had a reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. Now, Corinth, just pausing there for a moment, is uh, my wife and I were able to be in ancient Corinth uh, last summer, and you can see from the ruins. Uh, temples and still still standing, some temples still standing, but the temple worship, the uh, the practices of temple worship, uh, was exactly what the church was was struggling 
all around them, the culture was a, was a pagan culture and an ungodly culture. And so they start this new church in this, uh, in this town and they're trying to figure out how do we separate ourselves and look different from this, from the world and from this culture. How do we reach the culture and not cave to the culture? These are the issues in Corinth. Uh, just sitting above uh, the town is this huge, they call it the Acro Corinth. It's a big hill. And on top of that hill was one of the temples where the temple prostitutes would live. And they would come down at night and sleep with the men of the city. And, and this was a real temptation to the, to the men who'd, who'd become Christians. There was still a lot of pressure from the culture going on. Now, the culture there in Corinth, it was a, or the challenges and the tensions that they were facing in Corinth were very different than the cultural challenges and tensions that they were facing in the Galatian churches. You have a lot more of a, of a uh, Jew-Gentile tension in, in the Galatian churches. Uh, the issue of following the law, uh, adhering to uh, legalistic Jewish demands. That was what the Galatian churches were facing. Over in Corinth, the issue was the liberty issue. Is they're free in Christ, and so some people were really enjoying their freedom and crossing lines into sin and enjoying the ways of the world and the ways of the culture. Uh, here's, here's where this continues. The church that Paul planted there in Corinth, you read about in Acts 18, floundered under all of these influences and began to divide over various issues. So there's tension. Okay, there's tension. And here, here's some of the... This is the occasion. This is getting curious. You want to ask, what's the occasion? Well, the Galatians were focused on following rules along with living for Christ. This is a problem for Paul. Because to become a Christian, you don't need to follow the rules anymore as a way to be saved. To begin a relationship with Jesus, you, you, you believe in Christ and you yield to his lordship and you're, you're set free from the legalistic demands of trying to work your way into God's um, into a relationship with God. But the Galatians were really still trying to focus on following the rules. This was a heresy, a false teaching that was spreading, was sort of a rule-following church was beginning to breed and spread. Now, here's what we discover. And then the Corinthians were focused on enjoying the freedom, the liberty that comes from a relationship with Christ. Those are the occasions. Now, these kinds of background information issues should help us understand what is God saying through this to us. Now here's what we discover when reading these letters. Unity erodes and spiritual growth stalls when we focus mainly on preferential issues. I would even say secondary issues or non-essential issues or gray areas in life. And I'll define that a little further later. But unity for a church begins to erode. And then people's spiritual lives sort of get stuck and stall out. So let's look at Galatians 1. Verses 6 through 9, show you some examples. So in Galatia, again, not too far from Jerusalem, a lot of Jewish influence, this issue is legalism, okay? Let's read about it. Galatians 1, 6, Paul writes, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's a strong charge in verse 6. I, I'm, he's, I am so astonished that you've deserted the God who's called you into grace and have begun to turn to a different gospel. And then he says in verse 7, not that there's another one, meaning there's no other gospel. This is the gospel. Grace alone through faith alone. 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So some had seeped into the church and begun to spread this false teaching. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the overall situation that Paul is addressing is the tension between two things. The tension is between legalism and grace. How do you live with the tension? You have some Jews that still felt convicted to follow their laws and trust in Christ alone and still follow their laws as a way of honor to God and, and respect. And, and they, there were some that could do that not as a means to save their lives, but just as a way to honor God. But then there were those that were wanting to put too much weight of the Jewish law and strap that weight onto everyone, Gentiles as well. So instead of Jesus alone, meaning the grace of Christ, what verse 6 references, instead of Jesus alone, grace through faith alone, some people were preaching Jesus plus. Paul's saying, hey, is Jesus alone? Why are some people preaching Jesus plus a different gospel? Plus outward acts, essentially, continuing to follow certain Jewish laws, treating the Jewish laws as if they were essential. Paul is saying, look, why is this spreading? That's not the gospel. And you know who else, who else, who else got caught up in it? it? was Peter. Peter, really close to Jesus, gets caught up in this legalistic um, thinking and he begins to withdraw from people because of it. So Paul decided to confront and correct Peter. Let's look at this. It's referenced in Galatians chapter 2. Here's the situation. Chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes this. It says, but when Cephas, uh, Cephas is, that's Peter's name in Aramaic, okay? It means rock. And in, in Greek, it's Petros, which also means rock. But we know him as Peter. But in here he's referenced in his Aramaic name. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, Okay, this, this city where it's the sending city just north of Jerusalem. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Uh-oh. <laughs> Paul and Peter have a word together. <laughs> they, get, they have a, a very serious interaction. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James. Now this is going to get confusing. Before certain men came from James, James is of the church of Jerusalem. Remember I said there's the official church in Jerusalem with official leaders there. So James comes up from Jerusalem to Antioch. Before James comes, he, speaking of Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. He had no problem interacting with the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians. But when they came, they from Jerusalem, the officials, came to Antioch, Peter drew back. And separated himself, himself, fearing the circumcision party. He was concerned that the Jews from Jerusalem, he, he was like, uh, am I okay? Am I okay to interact with the Gentiles? And he was, he was concerned so much so that he withdrew from the Gentile Christians. Now, can you imagine being a new Christ follower and then and coming around here and, and, and getting to know Christians and then and then somebody 
somebody from the outside comes in and, and begins to, and maybe knows you from the past, and maybe your past was a rocky past, and you, and someone comes here and, and just makes a rash judgment. Oh, they go here? Man, I know, do you know who they are? Who are they? You get tempted to get drawn in. Oh, they, they've got a rocky past. Oh, really? Yeah, they, they do this and they don't do that. Oh, and you start withdrawing from people. This is sort of what's happening here. Is Peter was withdrawing from the Gentiles out of fear of man. He was just afraid of the, the, the Jews that had come from Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians that had come from the official church in Jerusalem. And now look at what happens. Verse 13, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. This is referring to the rest of the Jewish Christians that were with Peter. There were other Christians of Jewish descent with with Peter in this city of Antioch. I know this is lots of people and places and that also gave in to that hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So people start withdrawing because Peter was such a leader that everyone was like, well, let's look and see what Peter does. Oh, Peter's withdrawing from the Gentile Christians. We should withdraw too. They followed Peter's lead. So then verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct, Paul writes, when I saw that their conduct was not in step, in step with the truth of the gospel, Paul says, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew, because Peter was a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What is he saying? He's saying, Peter, you're a Jew, but you're not living like a Jew any longer. You're living like a Gentile because you believe that it's Jesus alone. You've taken a stand and you said, I live for Jesus alone. I'm no longer living like a Jew. I've now embraced Christ. And I've let go of believing that the, the Jewish law is going to save. Peter would say he let go that the Jewish law was going to save him. So he's saying, why are you living again like you're strapped under the Jewish laws? And then why are you forcing the Gentiles to live like the Jews? You can read, I think you should read more about this tension later, but Paul, he just saw it and he had to correct the way that their legalism was impacting their understanding of the gospel. Now here's a learning point for all of us. And it's tied to our cultural, uh, the culture, the impact of culture. Our thinking is influenced heavily by the culture around us one way or another. For those that were close to Jewish culture, the Jewish way of doing life was heavily impacting their thinking. Our cultural viewpoint as Americans, as Southern Californians, I don't know if you, as Riversideans or Inland Empire ins, ins, <laughs> you know, that cold, there's a certain culture. People do things here and, and you step outside this culture, it doesn't always make sense to others. When I go to the Midwest, I don't always make sense of their culture. And sometimes they come here, they don't make sense of our culture. And you can easily sort of throw rocks at, at people in church life even. But our thinking is influenced by the culture around us one way. It's, it's impossible to be immune from the culture we live in. Don't be fooled into thinking, oh, I can't be fooled into letting culture influence me. Well, Peter was fooled into that. So Paul corrects them. Later, Paul actually corrects the whole Galatian church. Look at Galatians chapter 3. He says this to the whole church. Oh, foolish Galatians. Verse 1. Who has bewitched you? Has someone put a spell on you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you, did you become a Christ follower and receive the Spirit by works of the law? Did you become a Christian by doing the law or by hearing with faith? Rhetorical question, of course. They received the Spirit by hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and receiving it by faith. That's how you become a Christian. You hear the message. Jesus died for you. You embrace that message. You yield your life to him. You hear and you respond to God's grace through faith. And Paul's saying, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No. You, you, didn't, you didn't work your way into God's favor. And then he says in verse 3, are you so foolish... Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started this relationship with Christ through grace. Are you now strapping yourself back under the Jewish law that was crippling you and that you could not completely fulfill? He's saying, if you could deal with your sin problem that separated you from God through doing works, through doing good works, through legalism, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But he died to bridge the gap. That separated us from him. So th- this is the issue. is legalism over there versus grace. Now over in Corinth, across the sea, different church, but divisions were sprouting up there as well. Look at, look at this challenge that they were facing. This is the tension of not legalism, but of liberty. Galatians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Fight for unity. Be of the same mind. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. This is like first century name dropping. I follow Christ. You know, who do you follow? I follow Paul. And then he says in verse 13. Is Christ divided? I thought we're all following Christ. Is Christ divided? Is there different camps that make you more important? Well, people were sort of camping out next to the leader and claiming attachments to leaders that they were closer to. And then Paul says, was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> if, you if you're claiming, I follow Paul, did Paul, cru- you know, cru- did I die for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course, all these rhetorical questions, the answer is no. Paul writes this, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Oh, except Crispus and Gaius. I did baptize you guys. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then he has another recollection. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy. He travels and plants churches. And he's like you and I. He's like, did I go there? Yeah, But then verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's the main thing. Christ sent me to you to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. See, even baptism is an act. It's not the gospel. It is an outward act of obedience. It's important. He says, I came to baptize, not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the primary issue, the cross of Christ. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved. It's the power of God. The cross means nothing to you. If, if you're in the world and you're running after the ways of this culture, then the cross of Christ means nothing to you. 
but it's everything for those of us who are trusting in the work that was accomplished on the cross. Like, it means everything. The cross means everything. So in Corinth, tensions were existing in dividing the church over a bunch of issues. Just to run through a list, name-dropping, chapters 1 and 3, minimizing sin was creating tension. Some people were, they were enjoying the freedoms that they had in Christ, but then they were crossing lines of sin, chapters 5 and 6, and they were, people were bragging about it within the church. Uh, chapter 6, not clearing things up in relationships and instead going to court. This was creating tension. Uh, chapter 8 and 10, dietary choices, food choices, spiritual gifts, orderly worship. These are all some of the different tension points as they found freedom in Christ, but they swung so far to the extreme of freedom that they were just enjoying their liberty, but it was dividing their churches or it was dividing their church in Corinth. There's a lot of issues that were dividing them. Now, what is a preferential issue? Just to define it. A preferential issue, it's, it's where the Bible does not specifically approve or disprove, disapprove of specific behaviors. Places in the Bible that where an issue comes up, a hot topic issue would come up, but the Bible doesn't say it's a black and white issue. There are some issues that are sin, and then there's these gray areas where you say it's it's more a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of it's a matter of preference and, and a matter of conscience. In our world today, some issues have the same effect. So let's bridge this into our world. There are some issues that people are lining up with extreme and opposing viewpoints, and the tension is just building and building and building in our culture. The thickest tension right now in our country is 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 certainly. Certainly political tension. We have an election on Tuesday, March the 3rd, the primaries. There's a local election going on, obviously. And so we're not going to stir the pot right now because it's already boiling. <laughs> we, we all don't agree on every issue in this room, on the, on the secondary issues or the, uh, the things that are going to be tied to your opinion. Here's some other issues that we don't always agree on. Parenting. So many different approaches to parenting. Schooling. How, how should you school your, school your children? Major point of difference. Health. Medicine versus alternative medicine. You know, if we want to stir it up, let's just, let's all camp out. I'll throw, I'll write a word on the wall. You go where you prefer. You know, let's all find out how divided we are. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. But this started happening in the early church (laughs) when people started talking about their big issue and talking down on those who didn't agree or withdrawing from those who didn't agree. Just like Paul was doing or Peter was doing uh, with some of the legalistic issues that was happening in Corinth over freedom issues, liberty issues or diets. There's all these different uh, ways to live, eat, lose weight. I just want one that works for me personally, but... (laughs) But, but how do you, you know, how should you do it? Or another hot topic issue is your social life. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Or your financial approach to life. Dave Ramsey versus everyone else in, in the financial world. You know. Now these are all important issues. Now hear me out. These are all important issues to consider. Believe me. They are all important issues to consider. They all deserve a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and some of these areas will smack us in the face if we just don't choose wisely in these issues and will be very costly for you 
if you're family, you know, th- these things are not issues to not be concerned about and just, uh, I'm just going to exercise my freedoms and not care what, what the consequences. These are important issues. So you should take the time to gain understanding, get input, ask God to help you navigate. These are important matters. But just don't confuse the secondary issues with the primary, the core issue of Jesus Christ. We can get so concerned about what we eat or drink or what we what politician we follow or what school or, or camp we, we choose that we begin to advocate for those things and make that the primary issue that we will die for and we'll camp out on. And we can begin to push others to do what we do or pull back from those who don't do what we do. We should just stop that. See, the preferential issues divide us, but... Well, we see in both of these books, Galatians and 1 Corinthians, that a relationship with Jesus Christ is what unifies us. This is the unifier. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For what I received, Paul writes, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the key issue. This is the primary issue. This is the deal breaker. This is the key issue. I've been preaching, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures paul's saying look keep the main thing the main thing he's not adding rules or preferences to the gospel he's also not subtracting from what it means to be a christian by saying to just go have freedom and do whatever you want he's calling people back to what's most important he's saying the most important thing is a relationship with jesus it's so easy to drift from what is truly important verse three he says of first importance, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He didn't pass along the gospel and then booklets about his preferences. He didn't pass along the gospel and political uh, pamphlets. And so he brought to people a message of hope. And the hope was this. Hey, we're all sinners who can be saved from the judgment of our sin by choosing faith in Christ, choosing to follow Christ. At the end of our life, we're not going to be worried about all of the peripherals. At the end of our life, what will come into clear focus is that, thank you, Lord, Jesus died on the cross for me. And now I want to do all I can to reflect him to those who don't know him and encourage those around us to grow closer to him. And Jesus himself, he loved us so much that he limited his freedoms on earth and sacrificed in order to do what was best for us. When he's heading to the cross and he's in prayer, he he prays to the Father, Father, is there any other way? Find another way. And Jesus could have had angels rescue him from the cross or found a less painful plan, but he, he declared, yet not my will, but yours, Father. And Jesus chose sacrifice over what he wanted. He had, you think about who he was. God of the universe. But he chose to sacrifice. That sets an example on how we should exercise our freedoms in life. We have a lot of freedoms when it comes to issues of preference. But we should consider, when should I sacrifice and, 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 and wrestle more through the issues of my freedoms for the sake of what God is trying to do in the lives of others? Our freedoms are meant to love and serve one another. This is what Galatians 5.13 this is the type of church that God wants us to be. Look at Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The Bible explains that before we became Christ followers, we were in spiritual bondage. We were slaves to our sin because there was no hope for us to do good, enough good to really atone for our sins. And so when someone commits their life to Jesus Christ, they're free from the spiritual bondage. They no longer need to be scared of death. They can look forward to eternity with Christ. You can look forward to that in heaven after you die. But after we follow, choose to follow Christ, we don't become robots and just choose to follow God automatically. God gives us freedom still to do, his, to do life his way, or we can still choose to rebel and move into sin. Paul is saying, look, don't use the freedom you've been given to serve yourselves and just do whatever you want. He's saying that won't lead to unity in relationships. That won't build the church. That won't be pleasing to God. Instead, use your freedom to love those around you. Use your freedom to love others. That's the perspective we find in the Bible. And if we relate in this way, and we put others' interests first over even our desires, our lives are bound together by a very strong bond of unity. So just bridging this even further and more practically into our world, one way we can do this is to give grace and space in relating in church life. Give people grace and space when you're relating and the, and the issues of preference come up. Give people some space. You know, what was going on in these two churches in Corinth and in the Galatian region was a lot of tension. And they couldn't figure out, how do we live with this tension? Well, what you learn is you live with the tension. <laughs> that's, that's how you live with the tension. How do I live with the tension? You live with the tension. Oh, Okay. It's okay. There's going to be different opinions. It's ah, if if we have to solve all the issues of secondary issues and preferences, we lose focus of what the core issue is. And just because we feel so strongly about our preferences, you know, we have to be careful because we can easily push people away from us. March third is is an election, and so this is an opportunity for a lot of our opinions to just sort of come out. So use grace with others and, and give people space on, on the issues. And then also, as you're just in, in church life or in small group life or as you're you know, talking, just consider there's just different thoughts on some of the secondary issues, and that's okay. Specifically, you can refuse to promote a preference when in groups. Think through your preferences and think, how should I talk about where I land on some of the issues? Am I laying thick pressure on people to see it my way? Also, just determine not to withdraw from those who have different preferences. Don't do what Peter did and withdraw from people who do life different than you. Now, Peter got that corrected, and he got it straightened out. But sometimes we might not tell people what we think they should do, but we, we start withdrawing from them without even realizing it. And so if... Don't do that. If it's a gray area, continue to be their friend. If they're choosing to do life a little different than you, so be it. You, you can still be friends. You can still encourage one another. God has granted us tremendous freedom. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that he has given us in Christ. Let's use that freedom to love people, to serve people, and not just serve our own self-interests. Uh, I want to invite our worship team up. And this this... These two letters and these issues of tension, even though I don't think these are major uh, issues in our church, 
I'm not concerned about a disunity right now in our church. But the issues and the topics change, and so sometimes opportunities for disunity sprout up unexpectedly. And differences are constantly dividing our, our culture. Let's be different. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, let's be different. Let's just not live like the world lives. Let's be different. That people would see a unity among such a diverse group of people. That's a powerful tool that God can use. Here's some next steps this morning. First is maybe think through listing out my preferences and evaluate how I communicate those. So just it's great to think through the areas that you have convictions on or matters of conscience. Just be careful that we don't communicate you know, preferential issues in a way that pushes people away. Or second, think through how to communicate just over your preferences without pressuring others to adopt your way. Then some sort of prep for next week would be to read the book of Ephesians to prepare for next Sunday's message as we look at one of the core issues in the book of Ephesians. So let's pray together as we continue. Father, I pray that out of what we've looked at this morning from these two letters written you know, 2,000 years ago, God, I pray that there's some takeaways, Lord. Um, I think specifically, Lord, that we would evaluate um, if we are being clear on what the main thing is. Paul made it really clear he's, what the message was. The good news, Lord, help us to make sure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, that the gospel would be what, as we interact with people, that, that they would say, you know, this person is known to offer grace, the grace of God through Jesus. Or the people, as they interact with us, that they would experience that, that they would know um, that what's primary for us and, and that not that we would put on the platform secondary issues. And God, I pray also for wisdom as we navigate through the many issues of how to exercise our freedoms and with the choices that we are given, Lord. Thank you that we're not saved by our works. But, Lord, help us to be wise in the way that we work through the issues because many of these issues can be very costly if we if we choose poorly. And so we need your help. We need your wisdom. Help us to d- dig into your word to understand what you do say about some of the issues of our day, that we would have the right boundaries and framework to keep our thinking on track and uh, father i do pray for unity amongst us in our small groups in our in our teams amongst our leadership amongst our families amongst our college age lord and then and beyond we just pray for unity lord thank you for the sweetness that can exist as we can relate across the lines knowing that there's different thoughts but lord um, when we know you there's a unifier so i pray that our love for you would be a unifier keeping us on track and making progress for you. We pray for these things right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.